We are so honored that you would take the time out of your week to listen to this week's message. We pray that you find it helpful and life-giving. If you would like more information on Hope Church, you can check us out at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening. We are here celebrating the good news this morning that Jesus is alive. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father and he is interceding for you. For your life and your situation. For your hardship and all the things that are jacked up. He's interceding for you. Because he rose. Because God will never fail. Would you join me and just giving him a shout. Celebrate with me this morning. Woo! Man, I just probably totally blew out my husband's eardrums right then. And I am not sorry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and celebrate that you have never failed. You are faithful from generation to generation. From age to age, you are the same. And no word that you speak will ever fail to perform exactly its function. You said light and light and it was good. And you created us from the dust and you said very good. And when we were no longer good, when we chose what was evil and called it good, you came and died so that we could be good once again. Father, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you. Now, God, would you help us to receive what you have to say to us in Jesus' name? And everybody said, hey, welcome to Hope Church. My name is Emma Adams. I'm the lead pastor here. Please take your seats. Unless you're like into party and standing, I'm I'm for it. You guys do what you want to do. Listen, I love Easter um, because we all know what we're going to talk about right? So we know what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Jesus. But I have some very interesting things to talk to you about Jesus this morning. Today I'm going to tell you why I believe that you should strongly consider putting your faith in Jesus as your Savior if you have not already. And I believe you should consider becoming a Christian in spite of having known some. In spite of having worked for some, some, right? in spite of maybe even being married to one, in spite of your church hurt and your bad experiences, in spite of if you grew up with a bunch of them or if you think we're all hypocrites, newsflash, we are, and so are you. And even if you think this is all a myth, even though you've had pain and maybe God didn't answer your prayer and maybe you lost somebody and you can't understand why God would take them from you, all of your questions, the questions that, that I can never answer for you. Even in spite of that, I want to challenge you today to consider becoming a follower of Jesus on Easter. Why? Because of Easter. The reason I think you should con- be con- consider becoming a follower of Jesus is not just because of your personal experience. I want you to consider becoming a follower of Jesus because here's the great news. The foundation of the Christian faith is not Christians. That's the good news. The good news is that the foundation of the Christian faith is not the behavior of Christians. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. 
The foundation of the Christian faith isn't even answered prayer. The foundation of Christian faith isn't having all of our questions answered. The foundation of our faith is what we celebrate at Easter. Consider with me for just a moment that there is literally no plausible explanation for the church. There is no reason for the church, yet here we are. There are millions and millions and millions of people all over the world who are gathering just like we are this morning, who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who had three years of public ministry with no social media, right? None of that. And we're celebrating that he only ever went about 30 miles from home. He never wrote a book. He never had a talk show. Y'all, he didn't even do a TikTok dance, okay? And here we are celebrating him. That's a real head scratcher, to be honest. Can we just be honest? That's, that's crazy. This obscure carpenter's son who became a carpenter himself in a tiny religious sect halfway across the globe, and here we are. I mean, why is it that Rome's first emperor, Caesar Augustus, who made Rome an actual thing and reigned for 40 years, is only known to us as the guy who took a census because of Jesus's birth story? That's insane. You don't really hear him mentioned outside of that story. Why, for 30, 300 years before the compilation and circulation of the New Testament, did people, thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands, put their faith in Jesus, having never read one word of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? How? How is this possible? I mean, how did this church even get here? I believe the answers to those questions are why you should consider or reconsider putting your faith in Jesus. So here's a, a, here's a simple explanation. All movements, all movements have two things in common. Two things in common. I'm going to give you case studies today, two very different case studies today. The first I want you to consider is a man who, who lived in the late 6th century, early 7th century. Uh, he came out of absolute obscurity. He professed to have a vision in a cave. And then he set about taking the poor and rallying, to, rallying them to his cause and his way of thinking and these religious views that he had. And he took them across the Arabian desert and they grew and they grew and they grew. And the prophet, you might know him as Muhammad, is the leader of Islam. And, and you know what happens? It continues to grow. Consider also another movement. Consider in the United States the movement, a very different movement, a much more comfortable movement for us, Martin Luther King Jr. He was a man who was charismatic. And he had a, a, an extremely, extremely uh, big uh, ideas. And he wanted people to call. He wanted to change and revolutionize what was happening in the U.S. in regards to racism. And I'm so grateful that he did. The truth of the matter is, is that movements have a charismatic leader with a new or seemingly new message, right? And, and that appeals to someone or something in the culture that they don't like, right? So a charismatic leader with ideas that are new or seemingly new, and, and they really are revelatory and will change the culture. Here's the second thing that movements have. 
When they die, typically, their followers pick up their message and move it forward without delay. Uh, now we have Sunnis and Muslims after the Prophet Muhammad died in 632 of natural causes. His friends and family couldn't really agree on what they should move forward, so they just split and moved whatever forward. But still, Muslims went on to conquer, and Islam's still here today. Martin Luther King Jr., on the other hand, was shot in 1968, and the civil rights movement continues today. People have picked that up, and the ball is still rolling. Those are the two things that movements have in common. Charismatic leaders and this, this movement keeps moving because their followers pick it up and carry it on. And these stories make sense. They make sense to us. They have common markers of movements. And one would assume that this would be the case with Jesus. We would assume that after he lived and taught and was executed, his followers felt the need to keep the dream alive. And so they went around teaching what Jesus taught them. But when we investigate Jesus and we see this is not the case, as a matter of fact, um, no serious historian would embrace the theory that Jesus' movement carried the same significant markers. And the first problem is this. Jesus' message didn't advocate liberation or revolution. He didn't. When we read the gospel and when we read the stories that come out of what happened very early on, we see that Jesus' message didn't advocate for liberation and revolution. His teaching on love was based on the Old Testament. Everything he did, he said, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I'm doing that. Don't take that away. Not a jot or tittle will be erased from the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. Even Pilate as we've studied the, the story of the crucifixion, even Pilate said to the Jewish people who were seeking to have Jesus killed, I can find no reason to kill him. Even Pilate said, this guy hasn't said anything revolutionary. He's not trying to like overthrow or liberate anybody. He said, I got nothing. Why do you want me to kill him? Here's Barabbas. Take Barabbas. And they said, no, crucify him. I mean, this is not like an appealing measure. The Bible tells us in other places that there was nothing attractive about him. He wasn't like overly charismatic. I know we all think that he looked like, you know, uh, Jonathan Rumi from The Chosen, but like likely he did not. Likely he was far less attractive and less notable and less charismatic. There was nothing appealing to draw people to Jesus and yet we're talking about him Today, the second problem with Jesus' movement is that Jesus' message was all about Jesus. He never called on his followers to trust his ideas. He instructed his followers to trust him. Trust me, he said. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, there are many rooms and I go there to prepare a place for you that where I am there, you may also be because it was all about me, Jesus. And it wasn't his ideas that got him into trouble. Remember, Pilate said, I've got nothing on this guy. 
It wasn't his ideas that the Pharisees and the Sadducees disliked so much. It was him. It was his person. It was who he claimed to be that was the problem. Because he claimed in John eleven twenty five, 25, you can read it. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. John 14, 9, Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So it, it wasn't that he was overly charismatic. It wasn't that he was going to overthrow the Roman government. It wasn't that he was attractive and that he had all of this amazing, culturally subversive teaching. It was the fact that he said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one can come to the Father but by me. Jesus' message was about him. And he did not come to leave his followers with a collection of insights or parables to pass on to the next generation. Can we be honest for just a minute? He went way too far for that. He went way too far when Mary broke open the perfume and poured it out. And like that was Judas's last straw, if you notice. Like that's the, first, the last thing that happens before Judas is like, that's it. Now we're wasting money. And he goes out and betrays Jesus. But Jesus sat there and he said, it is good for her to do this in preparation for my burial. Because it was about Jesus. He claimed too much, y'all. He claimed, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. I am the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. Come on. He made too much of himself and he allowed others to make too much of him. How many people bowed down before Jesus and they said, forgive us. And he would say to them, what? Your sins are forgiven you. And people got bent. Why? Because he was forgiving sins. No, that wasn't the problem. The problem was that only God can forgive sins. Only God can do that. Who does this guy think he is? Who does he think he is? His message wasn't liberating or revolutionary. He just kept talking about himself. So when his disciples watched him die, they watched the movement die with him. Do you understand the devastating truth that when Jesus died, they were all gone. They watched die with him. Why? Because it was all about him. So when he died on the cross, everything they believed went with him. It was devastating for them. The mission died with him because unlike anyone else, he claimed to be the mission. When Jesus died, no one believed his message. Even the disciples didn't believe the message. They were devastated. Devastated. No one believed his claims and the movement died with him. When Jesus died, the movement went with him. And even before he died, his followers completely scattered. Listen, Peter denied even knowing him on the eve of his crucifixion. And the very people who brought us our knowledge of Jesus didn't make themselves heroes. Because here's what would happen if I were writing, if I were Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, James, 
Peter, even Paul, I would be the hero. And wouldn't you? Wouldn't you make yourself look a little better in the situation? Wouldn't you kind of write in like, hey, this is what actually happened. I stood there and I was like, don't touch Jesus, right? I would write myself in as, no, all failed, but I stood, right? You would think that one of these dudes would be like, yo, yo, I kept it all together. Those people were wigging out, but I got it. I got you, Jesus. I got you, right? But that didn't happen. It didn't happen. Peter one, at one point said, you are the Christ. And then they all ran away. Peter said, I don't even know him. He even called down curses on himself and said, I don't even know him. Leave me alone, right? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all bring us the same story, and there are no heroes. All have fallen away. Nobody stood by his man or her man. And this is why we believe their accounts of what happened, because if they made this up, somebody would have been the hero. But messiahs don't die, and the Son of God can't be killed. And you can't crucify the resurrection and the life. So how did we go from that one scene of a broken, unknown carpenter alone on the cross, his movement laid in an empty tomb with him, dead, to 300 years later being declared the official state religion of Rome, the answer has nothing to do with what he taught or what he said. Easter is the only answer. Easter is the only thing that solves the mystery of why in the world this religion still exists today because it wouldn't without Easter. On a Sunday morning after Passover, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb because the dude, she knew that she would have to fix whatever the dudes messed up. You know, ladies, that's what we got to do. Fix it up. I'm just kidding. She went there because she knew they had to put him in the grave hastily because it was getting dark and, and they had just got him off the cross and they wrapped him and they put him in the tomb and they laid in there, but there was no time to prepare his body. So she knows she had to go fix it before stuff got bad. And so there she is on a Sunday morning and it says she went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and that's John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. People who write themselves as heroes would have stepped in right there. This is what the disciples were dealing with. They didn't even assume instantly that he had risen from the dead. Like the whole, hey, I'm going to be back in three days teaching that he'd done several times. All of the prophetic warning, all of that was lost on them. Mary even thinks, oh my gosh, they've taken the Lord's body. She's not even convinced herself. And so she runs to Simon Peter and she said, yo, they've taken his body and I don't know where they've put him. No heroes. Luke accounts this about the men. But they did not believe the women because their, women seem, the, they seem, their words seemed like nonsense. 
He's like, this is why women aren't in court. This doesn't even make sense. What you talking about, girl? Right? They didn't even believe her. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. This is another reason why. Because only two dudes would kind of like make sure that we knew who won the foot race to the tomb. Right? Because this is what John says. The other disciple, he's talking about himself, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Haha, <laughs> Peter. Here, but here's the, here's the truth of the matter is we know this is true because it says he bent over and looked in the strips, looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Why? Because it's a tomb. That's creepy, y'all. So he stood outside like, I beat you, but I ain't going in there. Right? And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. And he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. And the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And it says he saw and believed. It wasn't until that moment that they believed. You see, Jesus' followers didn't re-engage with the message and the teaching and the life of Jesus because of something he taught. They re-engaged because someone they had seen. They saw Jesus. It wasn't about the message. It was about the Messiah. It was about Jesus coming. And so the message of the early church was what? The resurrection. It was about Jesus has risen again. It was about Jesus. And Luke, who we know carefully recorded all of the events that happened, explains what happened next. You see, Jesus' followers go into the streets of Jerusalem and they begin to proclaim, not love one another as I have loved you. Not that message. Not the parable of the good Samaritan. Y'all got to be nice to each other. That's not what they taught. They went into Jerusalem and did not say, blessed are they that mourn for they will be comforted. They did not teach the Sermon on the Mount. What did they do? Luke says this. They proclaimed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Acts 3.15 records it this way. I mean, dude, Peter is bold and he steps out and he goes, you killed the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. But God raised him from the dead. And we are the witnesses of that fact. Now, say you're sorry. Repent and be saved. Not all of the lovey-dovey good stuff that we like to proclaim in churches Although those are important messages, the main message is the main thing. And the main thing is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Peter replied to all of those who were there. They go, oh my gosh, we killed the Messiah. What do we do now? And what is Peter's message? Be nice to each other? Stop acting out? No, he says, repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because once again, it's all about 
Jesus. The reason that this is the best weekend for those of you who are considering becoming a Jesus follower to say yes, the reason to do the deal and become a follower today instead of saying like, you know, oh, okay, well, I'll just wait until I get to heaven and I'm going to tell them like, oh, I was a really good person and I like, you know, I love people, right? And I like did good things. I would ask you not really to trust in me or trust in your own merit. I would ask you to put your trust in Jesus this weekend because the resurrection of Jesus Christ solves the mystery of history. The resurrection of Jesus Christ punctuates the point of his crucifixion, the forgiveness of sins. Here's what that means. If you're not a Christian, it means that your hope is not in vain. If you are a Christian, your hope is not in vain. It means that when you said yes to Jesus and Jesus said to you, I am the way, I am the resurrection and the life, he is the resurrection and the life for you. It means that everything he's promised you is yes and amen, just like I said at the very beginning of this thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, this message means that you have hope that cannot sink, that cannot be destroyed, that cannot fail. Your hope is eternal because your hope is not in the message, but in the man, Jesus Christ. And that is the best news ever. Because God can never fail. Remember, if God is good and he created all things and he is above all things and he, by him all things live and breathe. And if God is perfectly good and perfect in every way, he cannot fail. Therefore, Jesus cannot fail. Because Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus' resurrection resolves the great mystery. What do we do about our sin? What do we do about our past? The answer is Jesus. If he rose from the dead, we can trust what he said about his own death. Can I be honest with you? If somebody both predicts prophetically their own death, time, how, who, where, and that they're going to rise again, and they pull that off, I'm following that guy. I'm following that guy. And Jesus fits the bill. He pulled it off. He made the promise, and then he made good on it. The reason why that you can trust that Jesus rose from the dead is because there is no other explanation as to why we even know that he lived. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead... Then Paul and Peter and James and John would have denied him and would have lived a long and healthy life instead of going to their deaths as a martyr. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, let's not be too simplistic. We don't believe Jesus rose from the dead because the Bible says so. We believe it because a man named Mark said so. And a man named Luke said so. And a man named Peter said so. And men who followed him and women who followed him perpetuated the truth that he rose from the dead. We don't follow it because some random book said it. 
We follow it because people saw it and believed. We believe because we are transformed and we have the witness of the Holy Spirit within us. So if you're a Christian, you can live with absolute confidence. Your prayers matter. Your faithfulness matters. Your generosity matters because Jesus lives. But if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you should. You should because nobody else offers you the words of eternal life. No one else. Think about it for a minute. The resurrection of a Jew over 2,000 years ago is being taught today in power. And signs and wonders happen. And healing occurs. And people's lives are extraordinarily changed because of the resurrection. So don't believe because it's written in some book. Believe you. Believe because people have seen him. Believe because I've seen him. Believe because he changed my whole life. He made me brand new and has given me the power to see so many good things happen. Would you close your eyes for just a minute? I want to talk to you. If you're in here and you're like, all right, this is weird. Now I'm closing my eyes. Uh, I don't like this. It's okay. It's going to be brief. I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. And when you say yes to Jesus, we're just going to play, say a simple prayer. It's not huge. It's not weird. I'm not going to make you to come down front or dance a jig or raise your hands or anything weird like you might have experienced in another church. I just want you to say yes. Bro, it's that simple. Sis, it's that simple. Just say yes. I believe. Today, I believe. I believe because of what Matthew and Mark and John and Luke wrote. I believe today. If you said yes, I want to follow up with you. So you're going to see a QR code on the screen after we pray and you, you open your eyes. I would love for you to snap that QR code or text, text the word, that's me. That's me. I said yes to Jesus today. You will text that to 94,000. Let's pray. Jesus, you have the very words of eternal life. There isn't anybody else that we could place our trust and our faith in except for you. You are the only recorded person to ever rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. And there you wait at the right hand of God, sending your Holy Spirit to us as a connection point so that we are never, never detached from the Father again. I thank you that you brought somebody here so they could say yes. I pray, God, that this word is effective in helping somebody say yes to you and encounter you for the first time, that you could not only transform their lives, but you could transform their eternity, one that is full of joy. Jesus, you said that you did it all because of the joy that was set before you. And the joy is looking on your son and your daughter and saying, welcome home. Father, we say yes to you right now where we're at. We say yes to you. God, some of us need to say yes again. We need to recommit our lives to serving and honoring you with our time and our effort and our energy because you rose. 
Father, we ask that you would move in this place this morning. We ask that you would move on hearts right now. For those who are struggling, God, would you bring hope and peace. For those who are sick, bring healing. Father, we just ask that you would do this. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said yes, take the opportunity. Take the opportunity to text or to snap that QR code on the screen. It'll be an amazing opportunity for you to get to know Jesus. We just want to connect with you with a text. It's literally me, guys. So you know who's texting you, okay? It's not weird. It's not somebody else in the church office. It's me. That's my job. So please connect with us and let us help you on your journey. And we will be certain to do that. I'm so excited for you to know him. There's nothing else like it. We hope you found today's message both helpful and inspiring. Hope Church meets every Sunday at 10 a.m. in Seaford, Delaware at the Seaford Senior High School Auditorium. If you would like more information, you can find it at www.hopedelmarva.com. That's hope, D-E-L-M-A-R-V-A.com. Thanks for listening.